0: the Writer Files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash The Writer Files. Help us start something special.
1: Hey, Jared Morris here. If you know anything about Rainmaker Digital and Copyblogger, you may know that we produce incredible live events. Well, some would say that we produce incredible live events as an excuse to throw great parties, but that's another story. We've got another one coming up this October in Denver. It's called Digital Commerce Summit and it is entirely focused on giving you the smartest ways to create and sell digital products and services. You can find out more at rainmaker.fm slash summit. That's rainmaker.fm slash summit. We'll be talking about Digital Commerce Summit in more detail as it gets closer. But for now, I'd like to let a few attendees from our past events speak for us. For me, it's just hearing from the experts. I mean, this is my first industry event, so it's awesome to learn new stuff and also get confirmation that we're not doing it completely wrong where I work.
0: The best part of the conference for me is being able to mingle with people and realize that you have connections with everyone here. It feels like LinkedIn Live. I also love the parties after each day, being able to talk to the speakers, talk to other people over here for the first time. People have been here
1: before. I think the best part of the conference for me is understanding how I can service my customers a little more easily. Seeing all the
0: different facets and components of various enterprises then helps me pick the best tools.
1: Hey, we agree. One of the biggest reasons we host a conference every year is so that we can learn how to service our customers, people like you, more easily. And here are just a few more words from folks who have come to our past live events. fun. I think it's a great mix of beginner information
0: and advanced information so I'm really learning a lot and having a lot of fun.
1: Conference is great, especially because it's a single track conference where you don't get distracted by like, which sessions should I go to and am I missing something? I mean, the training and everything the speakers have been awesome but I think the coolest aspect for me has been connecting with both people who are putting it on and then the other attendees. So that's it for now. There's a lot more to come on Digital Commerce Summit and I really hope to see you there in October. Again, to get all the details and the very best deal on tickets, head over to rainmaker.fm slash summit. That's rainmaker.fm slash summit. These are The Writer
0: Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers, from online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs... And beyond. I'm your host, Calvin Reed, writer, podcaster, and media file. And each week we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. A New York Times bestselling author and co founder of Wired Magazine, Kevin Kelly, stopped by the show this week and chat with me about his journey from travel journalist to famed futurist. Mr. Kelly's storied and winding career has taken him around the world in search of visions of the new digital frontier. He's a renowned TED speaker and author of multiple bestsellers, including his latest, The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future, a title that offers an optimistic roadmap of how new technologies will shape humanity. Dubbed the most interesting man in the world by Tim Ferriss, Mr. Kelly began writing on the internet near its inception, never looked back, taking gigs including editor for the Whole Earth Review and presently senior maverick at Wired Magazine, a magazine he co-founded in 1993 and where he served as executive editor until 1999. Join us for this two-part interview, and if you're a fan of the show, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews with your favorite authors and help other writers to find us. If you missed the first half of this show you can find it at writerfiles.fm and in the show notes in part two of the file kevin and i discuss why the author can't write on the road the importance of delegation as a writer the cool tools kevin kelly uses to get words onto the page a futurist's expansive definition of creativity how lateral thinking can improve your writing and the day Steven Spielberg asked Mr. Kelly to predict the future. I mean, do you have an office like like once you've traveled the world and gotten all the stuff you need and researched all the stuff? Do you go back to the office then, or do you do you feel like you can
2: write on the on the road? I, can't, I cannot write on the road at all. I, I can't even write on planes. I can't even write in hotel rooms. Um, I do all my writing here. I have this. Magnificent um, studio. I call it studio. It's two stories. It's in California. It's all light. It's a huge stealing. There's there's two stories of books. I have um, all my toys. My Lego wall here. I have a Styrobot. No, it's 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 actually. I built it for me and my way of working. Um, Camille's just right down, right over there. There's I have another assistant too, who's does the website stuff. Um, And, uh, I have all my, my big, huge, uh, whiteboard. I've got, I got everything. So I'm, I have a have a standing, uh, and a, and a ball so I can move from standing to sitting Mm -hmm. within seconds. Cool. Um, and yeah, I kind of, um, need to be here, uh, to really get my writing done. Um, uh, and I have the privilege of being able to um, control my time that way. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know if I need to, but that's how I choose to. Sure, um, and that works for me. And um, you're right about the travel. So, so, so the the you know the, when I'm traveling, there's two kinds. There's the traveling for. Um, Doing talks. So, so my livelihood is basically giving talks in China. all right? So so that's most of my fans are in China. I have I have I don't know twenty times the number of fans in China than I do in the US. <laughs> and um, so I go to China to do talks. And because I have this um, a f- obsession with Asia, I usually will piggyback other trips either in China or elsewhere around Asia when I go because I'm photographing. The disappearing asia yeah. and when i'm in photograph mode i can do nothing else it's really weird but um, i become totally a c- camera hmm. and just a camera i'm a walking camera and that and that's i started off that that in the 1970s doing that so that's what that's what, what my first thing was i'm instead of going to college, I went to Asia as a photographer and I was yeah. photographing the stuff and I was a camera and I worked from the beginning of daylight to the end of daylight as a camera. And still when I go to Asia, I, do the same thing It's like, I am just there. And then when I'm in the hotel, I'm downloading, backing up all my stuff, doing the minimal amount of um, email that I need to do. And then I'm in bed. And then the next day I'm just a camera. And, um, so I, I find it really hard to am I'm I'm happy if I can do my email. Uh, I can't write then. And when I come back then I can shift in I'll leave the camera off to the side and then I can um try and write. Well it sounds cool. I mean it sounds like you've got these these processes in place that, that
0: kinda help you to process all the all of the uh crunch all the information you need to and then and then you get back to the designated writing space to to get into the flow
2: the other thing that that um i learned to do at wired and working through the magazine was to delegate and hire so i, I for i don't know 10 years i guess i, I did the cool tools myself yeah. five five days a week i was editing i wasn't writing all those reviews but i was soliciting um t- getting them in editing everybody sending it back going rounds of of approval hosting it and um, finding the pictures doing the access information well you know at some point okay it made money from the very beginning and okay so I'm going to hire editors to do this and um, I was overseeing it and kind of like a, like a publisher but they were doing the work and, and that's the other thing that, that I've learned to do is to hire out and I, that's the one thing I wish I'd learned earlier in life was to hire people better than yourself as a way of extending mm-hmm. your reach, and um, you know, tools is Marcus is, is running that basically. Silver so Cord, my partner in that, is running that. Um, I don't have a partner yet in True Films, but actually, Claudia, who is here, is is helping me now, and so that that's the idea is um, t- the way. That i found to leverage my ideas and perspective is to hire whenever i can yeah that's
0: cool i mean for scaling and and probably peace of mind too uh to kind of uh harness your your skills and your creativity earlier in the show i mentioned an invaluable resource for writers truth is the arrow mercy is the bow a diy manual for the construction of stories Based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again, author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and right on. Um, but speaking of cool tools, uh, let's, talk of, let's talk a little bit about the t- cool tools that you use um, to actually get words onto the page, if you don't mind. I'd love to know kind of, I know you've got some organizational hacks in place, it sounds like, but uh, are you a Mac guy? Or are you a PC guy? Like when you're actually sitting down to get words onto the, onto the page, what, what, okay. uh, what are you using there?
2: There's a joke I should just show you in a picture of my – I have a beige, boring minivan, but the back window is covered with little white apples. <laughs> right. You know, like a million of them. Because um, I have been an Apple user from the Apple IIe. Wow. And um, there was a brief spell – in Wired, and right before, we did a famous Wired cover about praying for Apple because there was a brief spell before Jobs came back that I thought I was going to have to actually make the big switch <laughs> to Windows. I was within like two months of doing that, um, but I but he came back in time and saved the day. So um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a total Mac or Mac household. Huh. I have an iPhone, um, so I work on a Mac they call a Mac tower submit behemoth machine that sits below me and I have two different two cinema screens one at sitting height one at standing height and I can just toggle between them mm-hmm. uh, that's where all right, I have a little tiny 11 inch Mac air that I take with me when I um, when I travel mm-hmm. and uh, it's big enough just to do email and primitive web and i have my powerpoint uh speeches mounted and that's that's it yeah and i'm not a very mobile person i mean when i go out i I only i got the first smartphone i had was apple 6 so i was kind of um i'm not i'm old school in that sense of um email is the best way to reach me um i work on a desktop I'm not mobile, and when I take pictures, I don't. I have to process them, so I use Lightroom, which I think is just fantastic. Um, I don't even need Photoshop; I just use Lightroom yeah. for, for managing my gazillion. Which, and I know, by the way, I have them all backed up to um, not only Google, but, but I'm a insane, um, radical, extreme backer-upper. <laughs> have. Three cloud. I'm back, my photos are backed up on three clouds and three different hard disks beyond the cards that I have. And while I'm traveling, I also have them backed up in three different places while I travel. Needless to say, I have never lost an image. So, hmm. um, is, that, is uh, that known as RAID? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, it's my own version of RAID. Right, exactly. So the tools I use for writing. Eventually I, I, I get into Microsoft Word. I don't always start there. I actually believe it or not, I, I sometimes start writing in my email. Mm, yeah. Um, because it's just like so simple and, and and I'm not gonna lose it and I can kind of keep it up and I used to mail it to myself as a backup <clears throat> as I went along before I had time machine. Like um, sometimes the first notes will be in all kinds of things, you know, sometimes they'll be in Google Docs, sometimes they'll be in my email, sometimes it'll be in notes. But eventually um, it gets to to um, Microsoft, but um, when I'm writing a bigger piece, I actually uh, will move things at some point into Scrivener. Hmm. And Scrivener is this really cool software that's used by people doing long form writing, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, or even yeah. sometimes screenplays. Yeah. And it's uh, it's card based organizing metaphor so you, you things have cards and you can kind of move these cards around And the cards can have an indefinite amount of text in them and you can kind of put them in hierarchies or you can kind of keep them flat but the idea is that you can move all this stuff around so it's, it, it takes the place of like the old way where we actually did cut and paste and had things in piles and <laughs> move piles around the floor or cards, index cards on your desktop, and it does that. And it's yeah. really, really good for organizing lots of things and lots of parts. And I and I have used that for the last two books, and I would definitely use it again for um, any other book I did. So that's and that's on. I think it's on both Mac and Windows. Um, so I'm using Scrivener, but but at some point. It, it'll make its way into a Word doc in the kind of final form. And that's just because, in my experience working with um, magazines and, and the book publishers, this is the universal uh, format. So, it, sure just has to reach there at some point. The track changes and and, uh, traditional publishing. Well,
0: um, I kind of skipped over a big one, but here is um, one for you. I mean, you kind of probably are rubbing elbows with um, writers, and you have been for much of your career. Do you uh, believe in writer's block?
2: I don't. Um, If you mean, do I experience writer blocks? That's all I can say. I don't have any uh I've never really talked to the other writers about writer's block so I can't say whether they have it or not uh, and I've never had them volunteer a conversation about it mm-hmm. like I was just hanging out just last week with all these science fiction authors very very you know published successes and the, 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 this never come up um yeah I don't I have not experienced it myself um in talking to them about their work habits and stuff, um, some of them are pretty regular, you know, write everyday kind of things, and they'll write about something every day, and maybe yeah. maybe it's not about what their book is, but they'll they'll do something. Um, so uh, it has not been an issue in my experience. Cool.
0: that's good. Knock on wood, <laughs> yeah um. All right, well, let's let's uh, get into creativity a little bit. I know we've got a few more few more minutes here. Um, you know, I mean, I think creativity is probably inherent to a lot of what you do, um, but but it might not be labeled as creativity when you're kind of getting into, you know, um, technology and, and kind of looking at the future. Do, but do you think that uh, you could define creativity for us?
2: My image of creativity is a diagram in a book called um uh the act of creation i think it by by kessler kostler um it's an old book and it was his attempt to try and figure out what creativity is and in his diagram it's very simple it's like you imagine i take two index cards that are inserted in into each other so they form from the end, a profile of a cross. So there are two planes that are intersecting, right? So you have a flat plane and then a vertical plane. So mm-hmm. you have two planes that are intersecting. Mm-hmm. And his and his idea was that all creativity is basically uh, taking two unrelated planes and in, in making them intersect. And um and so that's the that's the visual image that I have of creativity, which is you mm. are Making a, a connection, an intersection between things that have not intersected before. And like, jokes are kind of like that. Uh, joke is you take mm-hmm. the things that don't seem to be related and you bring them together in some way that's plausible and, and it's funny. And um, well, new ideas, new innovations are the same kind of thing where you recombine existing mechanisms, say, in a way that haven't been combined before. Sure. Or uh, and this is this is um, uh, Brian authors and Paul Romers two two separate guys with two separate theories, but they're both the same, which is that the the fountain of all innovation is basically recombination. And um, in fact, the combination of all wealth is actually, um, I mean, the, the origin of all wealth is actually recombination. You're just recombining things, and so this idea of intersecting things that had not intersected before mm-hmm. is my definition of creativity where there are of course rules I mean you can't just take any random thing they have to the thing has the new intersection has to work in some way it has to be you know plausible interesting whatever but that <laughs> fundamentally that that's the that's the act and so um, when I see something creative it's usually because someone has you know we, we talk about the other metaphor of a leap somewhere but they have stepped off something and they're stepping somewhere else but it's they're actually two legs they actually have a leg in the in the in the departure point and a leg in the arrival point and those two things have sort of not been not been bridged before that's my image of as is, is of um an intersection of of um two unrelated ideas
0: mm-hmm. i like it i like it a lot well um I think that uh, we're getting close here. I have a couple other questions for you, but um, so so
2: let me just say one thing about the creativity. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 because because um, I've got to work with many of some what I would consider some of the most creative people working today, alive today. People who are technically geniuses, like Danny Hillis, artistically genius, like a Brian Eno cultural genius like Stuart Brand and it's really been interesting to watch them operate and um, I, th- I think they have trained their minds to do this and, and they're doing the, the thing I'm saying with these unrelated planes intersecting but um, they, they do them kind of in different ways and like Brandino I'm again and again reminded is he's kind of like the most lateral thinker hmm. I know and lateral meaning that He's associating ideas that are coming from off to the side. We, we often have a tendency to kind of um, maybe proceed in kind of a linear way or a way in which you know there's, there's, um, there are the obvious um, things in front of you that you might want to combine. But, but he has an ability to kind of reach off to the side into something that is um, unexpected and trying to make that association that will work. And he's particularly good at reaching, kind of behind his back or off to the mm-hmm. side, or and that's what I meant by laterally, yeah. to bring to bring something in, and that ability to, in some senses, dismiss or ignore the obvious ones and to reach for the unobvious that yet still works is is this is something that I think actually they train, and he Brian Eno you know, has a famous set of cards. Uh, the called oblique strategies mm-hmm. they used. He and a partner used to um, um, make music, and these were prompts that they would pick up at random to force themselves to do this kind of lateral thinking. And there, there were prompts like, um, "Take the most obvious thing and ignore it," or um, "Pretend that you know." What um, uh, about the middle? You know, emphasize the middle, or you know, they were kind of almost like random things, and yeah. often. That action would not be the thing that worked, but that would lead them to this other, unobvious next step that would work. So that's one way. And, and those cards are actually very valuable and useful for anything. And I have a deck right here where, and I use, I have my own kind of little internal ones of when you're in the situation, and I say, like, like when you're stuck. You you use these things to as um, as prompts, exercises to kind of force yourself to think about these other approaches. Yeah, and um, it's very handy. And I think internally that's what Brian and others are doing is that they actually have a set of uh, little things that they're kind of running through, sometimes unconsciously as they try and prompt themselves to to take this lateral approach. Then there's others like. Um, Marvin Minsky Danny Hillis are very technical, and I think they do something very similar, uh, particularly Marvin, um, which is pretend that they're not human. <laughs> they try Ooh. to uh, approach this as seeing it as if they were seeing it for the first time, as if they were coming from another planet, as if they were pretending that they were often a robot, and it's like, well, how would a robot do this? Um, to try and do the same thing of look at it with the fresh eyes, um, look at it in a way that... An ordinary human would look would would look at it and and, and not as the way an ordinary human would look at it. And then um, Stuart Brand, who also has this ability, I, I think um, his little heuristic that he also trained himself to do would was, was to force himself to, each time he approached something, he would force himself to try and find a different perspective on it, including using the words that he used to describe something he would never, ever, ever repeat himself. So he would, if he was talking about something he knew, he would require that he use different words when talking about this time to this person, even though he'd been talking about it for a thousand times before. And that, that, that constraint would require him, because of the new words, to to see it differently. And then then he would have an insight just because he forced himself t- to use different words. Love that. And so so those are some of the um, ways that um, I've seen some of the most creative people I know kind of use this on a daily basis. They 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 have trained themselves yeah. to be to be better at this. On an ongoing basis, not just when they're sitting down, but just uh, as a habit.
1: For sure. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling
0: a similar set of prompts, kind of like the oblique strategies, um, that he uses for screenwriters, which have uh, been proven to be very helpful. And I think writers can use that—that that, uh, you know—in whatever way they think um, to kind of kickstart their writing for sure. Side note: I love Brian. You know, uh, music for airports that I actually listen to while I'm writing, and and I find that it helps because it's kind of meandering and ambient, of course, but. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I got to slip this one in here. I know that uh, <laughs> the inevitable and, and kind of understanding the technological forces that will shape our world. You've talked about um, VR quite a bit. And uh, I heard you say you were reading Ready Player One, which is Ernie Klein's uh, kind of journey into a VR. What is it? The Oasis correct there. So, um, interesting intersection there. Um, I think you've worked with Steven Spielberg in the past. Um, and he is adapting that book into a movie. Have you heard anything about that?
2: I have not heard either from Ernie or elsewhere about what state the, um, Spielberg ready prayer one is. I, um, I've heard different rumors about whether it's actually going to be in VR or not. Mm-hmm. I think I think there is likely to be some VR component, probably a VR game version. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I don't know anything more about it other than what has been published. <laughs> I think that um, it's an ideal Spielberg movie for many reasons and not the least of all the kind of references to the 70s and 80s that I'm sure he'd be very good at. (laughs) Right. Well, I thought
0: it was interesting that it takes place in 2044 and he actually um, tapped you to To help him predict 2054 in in Minority Report, right, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought maybe, maybe he'd tapped you again. No,
2: no, no. Uh, And it was just not me. It was a group of us. And as far as I know, none of us uh, he hasn't reached out in that sense um, (laughs) to do that. Which was a very um, uh, let's see, was 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 a very amazing experience because there was a set of of people, uh, including the people I just mentioned. Except, I don't think Brian was there, but like Doug Copeland and mm-hmm. um, some other general Lanier, were, were 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 present. And our job was to make this world in a comprehensive. But what was really interesting because we did a lot of arm waving about these things. And then Spielberg, you know, he's in sitting in the room and he's he's there with his little pencil and pad. and says, "Okay, it's, um, you know, what do uh, what are people sleeping on? What do the beds look like? Mm-hmm. Oh, how, how about for breakfast?" What are people having for breakfast? So he was really like it was like oh I mean it was like the 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 that 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 requirement to be that specific was very it was electric it was really it was galvanizing because you couldn't just talk about general things he wanted to know what the beds look like and so you began to yeah. think what do they look like are they any different <laughs> the same are they water beds or you know and yeah. so um, that was real that was so profound for me because that really changed you know, how I try to think about the future now.
0: cool. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out uh, to chat with us about your process, the inevitable, understanding the 12 technological forces that will shape our world, a very optimistic roadmap of the future, really cool stuff. Uh, It's out now and um, we can find it out there. You link to it at kk.org and it's on Amazon. I'll link to your uh, Google Plus page as well and uh, your Twitter handle. Is there any Any other uh, sign-offs for writers you want to drop on us before you go to the next interview?
2: No, other than um, I do suggest that you look at the Cool Tools book that I did, which was self-published. Although it's this huge, oversized, thick, heavy, five-pound, massive catalog of possibilities and there's are some good writer tools besides scrivener there are some other resources for people making things and being creative tools not just like the wrenches and pipes but um things like elance or what they would call upwork these days how to hire yeah. someone for help where to get a logo or book cover done so um check out that that's available on amazon as well
0: Mr. Kelly, thank you so much. Really appreciate sure it. Best of luck with all of your press rounds. And uh, hopefully, you'll come back and talk to us again another sure time. Sure thing. Thanks all for
2: right. the attention. I appreciate Absolutely.
0: it. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes, or to just leave a comment or a question, can drop by writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on twitter at calton reed cheers talk to you next week